Quack, quack, quack. My friends of the Quack 12 podcast, we've got a fun episode for you today because once again, we have a, a wonderful guest, someone who really knows his Stanford football, and we've been lucky enough to have on in the past. That is Jabril Taha of KZSU Sports Radio and the senior staff writer at Stanford Daily. How's it going, Jabril? It's going well. New era Stanford football, a lot of changes to talk about. I'd say, yes, quite a few changes. And uh, I understand you're not feeling very well, so once again, thanks so much for giving us your time and anytime, your voice. Anytime. And hey, maybe the last time, unfortunately, which seems insane to say when you're talking about Oregon and Stanford. Like, and then of course, Hithliday of Addicted to Quack, as always. How you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. But Jabril, I wanted to ask you before we get into the actual roster questions. I mean, Stanford is going to be an ACC team which, again, something a couple of years ago would have sounded absolutely preposterous, but is now a reality. Uh, what, just what are your thoughts on the move? What are your thoughts on the state of the Pac-12 or, or whatever it is right now? Well, for Stanford personally, it's a relief, although it's a temporary relief. Uh, we don't, it's stuff, more stuff is going to change if it ends up being two super conferences or a breakaway league. Stanford's not going to get included in that. Uh, so for now, it saves all 36 sports and all the non-revenue sports. The question is, is this a signal administration is actually going to invest in football and try to become a top-tier program again? Or is this just a lifeboat for the non-revenue sports? And then whenever this changes again, Stanford's still not still going to be in a not great position in Tier 2. I mean, it, it is not, especially when you're thinking about all of Stanford's sports, especially. It's like, okay, so uh, I hope you guys like football flights <laughs> you know yeah. i hope you got a good book to read uh, on our long journey over there to our next conference game but that's beside the point hitler day would you mind walking us through some of this roster yeah i do wonder whether or not that the smu thing was just a yet another stanford uh you know stock scam like they all just bought flight <laughs> you know stock in american airlines because that's where their hub is, is dallas like all the you know the, the, they're gonna have like you know, regional uh, uh, home games are going to be played in at SMU and they're all just going to congregate there at Love Field. I mean, the bizarre thing when we talked in the summer was trying to figure out what the uh, the quarterback situation was going to be simply because, you know, they had lost Tanner McKee to the NFL. He had been the starter for the previous two years. He had basically played nearly every snap. And so there wasn't a whole lot of like experience or, or, or film on what any of the backups were. They were bringing back two guys. One was Ari Potter. To I know you're a big fan of his Jabril and the other, but but like when they needed somebody to throw, he was the quarterback that they would bring in to throw the ball, and the other was Ashton Daniels, who they would use as like their wildcat, like running quarterback, and um and the 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 thing was that like you know we just sort of as a logical supposition, both of us came to the same conclusion, which is that like if Ashton Daniels had an arm, they would have just kept him in for sequential plays and had him throw the ball. So he must not have an arm. So it'll be, you know, Ari Patu, they recruited him for a reason. Um, and, and then, you know, right after I, I, we recorded and I wrote my article, they got another quarterback, Justin Lampson from Stanford's new home on, in the ACC. And I was like, okay, it's going to be a contest between Patu and Lampson. 
and then it hasn't played out that way at all. Uh, like nothing that we predicted has played out that way. Um, instead, in the opener against Hawaii, it's been Ashton Daniels who came out and he actually threw the ball pretty well, um, all things considered. Like Hawaii doesn't have the greatest pass defense in the world, but like you can just see, you know, even if guys thrown against air, you can watch a guy's like throwing mechanics and and like how confidently he's throwing the ball. And it's like, okay, you know, he doesn't not have an arm. We haven't seen uh, Ari Patu at all, like not a single second of him. Like I assume he's alive and well, but uh, that's about the most I can say about him. Then week two uh, against Stanford, Ashton Daniels comes out again, but he takes a sack uh, like midway through, I think the the, the first or second quarter. And, and then uh, Justin Lampson comes in, he runs the offense for the rest of the game. Then week three, uh, we start out with, uh, with Daniels again uh for the entire first half but then and i sort of have a hard time telling if this is a coincidence or not very end of the first half like final play of the first half which i think they're just sort of killing time uh to keep sack state from getting the ball back very last play of the first half daniels takes a sack and he sort of like gets up a little gingerly but he jogs off the field you know as time expires uh and uh, but then the entire second half of the game is played by Justin Lampson. And I'm like, was this a planned rotation or did that sack shake him up? And with the same thing that they pulled him for the USC game and then week four against Arizona. Oh, my God, they're playing in two quarterback system. But it's like real back and forth. It's like every other play. They're swapping out Daniels and Lampson. Like this doesn't look like a clean first half, second half thing. It's like. They're flipping a coin to determine who's going to go in and play quarterback. And I, well, I can't figure it out at all. Uh, first of all, in that sort of recitation of facts, have I said anything? Did, did I get anything wrong there, Jabril? No, you nailed it pretty much. Uh, we all thought the halftime substitution was was uh, play-related in okay. terms of Daniels. The offense got off to a good start, but really sputtered there in the last few drives of the half. And then Lamson came in and took over. So that, that was our interpretation of that against Sac State. You didn't think it was planned going into the game that it was going to be no, the first half, second we don't half think so. thing? Okay. No, because Daniels played all against Hawaii, then got hurt against USC, and then start, came out starting against Hawaii. I guess Sac State. So we and, thought it and, was. And the yeah. staff hasn't said anything about it? No. Hmm. We don't get too much info about oh, really? these types of things. Yeah. You, you're not able to pin them down and and <laughs> and force answers out of them. <laughs> no, not particularly. How how tight lift is this staff uh, compared to the previous staff? Uh, they don't seem too thrilled about media interactions, but they're always very polite. Never, never uh, combative. Also, our media here at Stanford isn't combative at all. Uh, so mm. it's a lot, a lot of coach speak, I would say nothing, not uh, very neutral. So I don't have any complaints with how they dealt with the media, but they definitely don't not, not open, not offering up injury reports or anything without that being asked directly, typically. So what do you think was going on in week four? I mean, obviously it was tongue in cheek when I said they were flipping a coin uh, about their quarterback, but I mean, I'm not joking about, I mean, it wasn't even like a drive by drive substitution. It yeah. was like each play. It seemed it was like it's Lampson, it's Daniels, it's Lampson, it's Daniels. Like, I mean, to the point where like it was slowing down the offense, you know, because like you know they couldn't do hurry ups, you know, or no sub packages. They couldn't, you know, it was like every play they'd have to run out new, you know, personnel packages. W what do you think was going on there? I think, as you said, it was just they they plan to use a two quarterback system. Also, 
just with Daniels, there were a couple times where he missed a throw, and right after he missed a throw he should have made, Lampson came in. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know how planned it was, but they were alternating on and off the field, as you said, like within each set of chains, uh, these guys. And, yeah, Daniels was throwing the ball more than Lampson did. Lampson was doing a bunch of quarterback draws. It it seemed like that was the intent going into the game, and they just tried to mix and match and throw off the Arizona defense. That's the thing that's especially nuts about this is that like that's, you know, given the data that we had, you know, at the end of last season, you know, you and me and every other observer of Stanford. So I think that's one other person uh, was, you know, was like, well, Daniels is the running quarterback. And yet, you know, if I had any interpretation of the data that we've had so far through, you know, in the four games of 2023, it's that Daniels is now the passing quarterback and Lampson is the running quarterback. It's like they've got a running quarterback hat that they put on different people uh, and it's, you know, off of Daniels head now. Uh, What do you think about that theory? It's true. That's correct. Um, Daniels ran the ball out of a package against in the Shaw offense last year. Had that infamous fumble, fumble in the in the big game off of it. Yeah. Uh, and then so we assumed he was the running quarterback. And then during camp, we all heard, "Yeah, Lampson has the best arm of everyone." When he's when he was brought in as a transfer, we were like, "Oh, he definitely has the best arm of the quarterback." Uh, the question is, is he as versatile as maybe a Daniels or a Patu would be? And Turns out it's the opposite. Lampson running a quarterback draw 10 times a game and having decent success with that. And Daniels is coming in to throw the ball, albeit not super successfully against some mediocre defenses. But yeah, he's the passing quarterback now. And Lampson doesn't throw the ball much. Only six attempts versus 13 carries against Arizona for Lampson. Do you, I mean, I hesitate to ask. Do you have a guess for what we're going to see in week five? I have no idea. I think we're going to see more of the two system, both quarterbacks, though. That would be my best guess. I mean, I think I, this, this, I'm... the offense looked decent against Arizona. It didn't <laughs> too, they, they, it was better than Sac State than the second half. So that is true. <laughs> like, I, I mean, that that is true. <laughs> they got more done uh, against Arizona. Uh, it just, uh, you know, you know what they say about what what you've got if you've got two quarterbacks. Um, yep. The uh, um, and it just really struck me that just like it, anytime they, it, they had momentum, you know, I don't know, momentum is just a very difficult thing to quantify, and I often hate it when you know, when commentators like go to, to squishy terms like that. But it's like they, they, you know, a lot of times there are advantages to going up tempo or to like controlling the pace of drives, and like that is, you know. They, they completely forfeit that advantage when, you know, because there, there is not a single drive in the Arizona game in which they they did. They went with the same quarterback for the entire drive the, yes. you know, a, every single drive. They did at least one quarterback substitution, even the drives in which they went three and out. Although I think there was only one of those. Well, yeah, it's hard to predict. And each like each of their four games is a different pattern. Hawaii, you know, single quarterback the whole game. USC looked like it was going to be a single quarterback the whole game, but then injury based substitution. Sac State is a substitution at the half where it's full one half for one quarterback, full one half for the other quarterback and then maybe that's performance or maybe it's planned and then you know uh, game four it's like you know flip a coin mid-drive we've had four different completely different patterns so like 
you know, hell, man, week five, it could be, you know, pattern number five for all we know. Like, oh, man. The other thing is that it really throws off, you know, uh, trying to figure out what like the, their success rates are um, where they're, you know, Stanford's had some success running the ball. Like, I, you know, I think they've actually got a pretty decent stable of running backs here um, to the point where, like, I, I sort of question what the value of the quarterback, you know, running quarterback is like they they have they've got EJ Smith and Casey Filkins and Cedric Irvin, like all of whom are running the ball pretty well. Wouldn't you say? Yep. The run offense hasn't, has been decently decent for the Stanford team compared to last year's. Uh, but yeah, the running quarterback just, I guess adds another threat to that, but yeah, it, it, the, the run game's a whole another issue with the touch, the touch distribution between those three guys being very unexpected and EJ Smith, not seeing the ball much at all. Yeah. Uh, what do you think that's been about? I have no idea, but Cedric Irvin Jr. broke off a 45-yard run in which he made five guys miss yeah. against, against Arizona this weekend. So I think it's probably talent-related. We don't know anything about EJ Smith being banged up. Uh, he didn't play much at all during Hawaii, EJ. He only got four carries, and yeah. we all assumed they were holding him off against USC to, to, to see and do some interesting packages with him and from his slot. But we really haven't seen much of EJ Smith this season, which has been definitely one of the more surprising storylines. We've a- we've actually seen more of Ryan Butler, the Princeton transfer, yes. which is like okay, you know, Princeton. Maybe that's it. But really, you know, I don't know how well they're 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 really running behind this line. A lot of that is like the running back improvising. You know, but I really the issue is just that with the offense is that the 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 passing efficiency is underwater, like deeply underwater. It's yeah. about 40% success rate on my tally sheet, you know, outside of garbage time in the four games that they played. And I mean, they've played an FCS team in Hawaii, which doesn't have a great, you know, defense and Arizona, which doesn't have a great defense and USC, which famously has a terrible defense. Like mm-hmm. the, their passing efficiencies is underwater and, and against teams, which, you know, none of which I, I, you know, they, they ain't playing the 85 bears, you know, let's say you, you only get three wedges to this pie the 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 quarterback the offensive line and the receivers how would you how would you split up the pie in terms of who's who's at fault oh who's at fault uh, the offensive line i think is mostly at fault they're near the bottom of the country in pass blocking according to pff uh, they completely collapsed in the fourth quarter against sacramento state oh yeah just killed no no time whatsoever for our quarterbacks and yeah it, they're they're fine to below average in terms of run blocking, but as you said, the running backs improvise well. But no, the, both of our quarterbacks, while aren't particularly great themselves, have really been been given almost no shot in the passing game with these with the offensive yeah. line and how bad they've been, especially in the interior. On the other hand, I've I've been well. I think they're making some interesting personnel, and by interesting, I mean unexpected uh, personnel decisions about who's getting targeted in the passing game. Although it's a, it's kind of difficult to infer targeting decisions when the offensive line is this bad. Cause like a lot of it is sort of like, I got to get this ball to somebody. Um, so like, you know, I'm not surprised that your is getting as many targets as, as he has, like, you know, often, even if he weren't a great tight end, like a lot of times a tight end is just a, a quarterback who's under fire's best friend. Um, but like John Humphreys has only gotten five targets through the year. Um, He's hurt. Oh, is he? Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. What's going on got, with him? Yeah. We don't know the exact injury, but he's questionable for this week. We'll see if he's back. Hmm. But he's been hurt the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's too bad. Um, so, so we don't know if he's coming back. This we don't know. Questionable. Okay. 
Yeah, he's close though, apparently. But like you know, you know, Bryce Farrell, I thought would have a bigger uh, year than he's had. Um, I wasn't expecting Tiger Bachmeyer to to get as much as he has, or Medea Ruman to get as much as he has, or Alec Ayamanar um, to get as much as he had. Um, uh, I, you know, I would have expected a lot more of the passing game to run through the running backs, um, simply from the film study that I've done on Troy Taylor um, at Sac State. Um, because I was watching a lot of FCS games uh, in the big sky for weird reasons. There's a bunch of Pac-12 intersection. I mean, Oregon opened with Portland State, and then there's a bunch of like a, bu- a bunch of different dudes from the big sky wound up in the Pac-12. Like Cam Scadabo. I knew a bunch. I knew about Cam Scadabo before he thrashed USC uh, <laughs> for, for those reasons. Um, anyway, um, yeah, uh, uh, Troy Taylor's Sac State offenses were fun as hell to watch, and one of the parts of them were throws to 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 the 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 running backs and uh there really hasn't been been much of them um uh, uh instead it's it's been urosic and and some of the receivers that i wasn't expecting as much has that been a surprise to you uh, definitely we heard yeah we heard in camp that there were mumblings that ej smith was going to line up in the slot a bunch and that was part of the theory of like oh that's why he didn't play too much against hawaii they're saving how they're going to use their one of their more talented offensive weapons for this USC game, and it, he played more against USC, but it didn't really happen. And especially, we thought they were going to rely on him in the slot more, given the lack of uh, experience talent mm-hmm. in the wide receiver core. And yeah, that's definitely been surprising. But the wide receivers haven't been great, but they're young and they're shown some flashes. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. I guess I, I put. I put it this way. You tell me if you disagree, Jabril. Like I. I don't think the receiving core is the bottleneck here. Like even, even with Humphrey's injury. And I think that Humphrey's is a pretty good weapon if he's healthy. Um, I think he'd be a better weapon given his build and the fact that what he's a really a weapon for is running down the sideline and just like outclassing a lot of the shorter cornerbacks in the league. Um, uh, he'd be more of a weapon if this were a better offensive line and, and they could really set up to take some deep shots. Um, uh, that's sort of neither here nor there. Um, but, but, uh, you know, setting that aside, the, the, I, I think that they have the receiving targets to do more or less what Trey Taylor wants to do if he had the other pieces and the problem is he sort of doesn't have the other pieces. He doesn't really have a quarterback um, that's that reliable. I, the reason that I know that is that we spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. Um, and he doesn't really have an offensive line that can do, you know, pass blocking and that those are the bottlenecks and it's not the receiving core. What do you think I'm on the right track there to I think so. I don't think they're particularly good, but as I said, they, they're not the main issue here. It's yeah. it's not having any time for them to get open, to be honest. Um, do you? One of the things that I sort of speculated about um, during the off season was that, hey, you know the 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 two the two best pieces that Taylor is inheriting from last year's squad on the offense um, was EJ Smith and Benjamin Urosic and a running back and a tight end are not really, you know, what I would say are, are what Taylor needs, you know, for the optimal version of his offense. And so it's sort of like, Oh, there's a mismatch here. Um, Do you, and so I'm like, is Taylor going to be able to run the sort of optimal version of his offense? And yet when I, at least when I was watching the Hawaii game, 
in which like they had the least amount of health problems. I guess I'd put it that way because uh, it's the opener. It's the healthiest you're going to be. Um, like I sort of thought this is the tailoriest uh, uh, offense. This is going to look. Um, and I thought the offense looked pretty tailory. Like I, I didn't. Uh, I thought that he actually, you know, looked like he was doing about as good of a job. You know, adapting what he wanted to do with what the personnel that he had, given that the constraints of the roster that he inherited and the limitations that Stanford's, you know, personnel management you know, constraints put upon him to, to implement the offense that he would like to do. Um, what do you think about that? Or alternately, do you think, no, there's a problem here. He can't, you know, let Taylor be Taylor. Uh, what do you think, Jabril? So in his Sac State offense, he did rely more on a tight end than people naturally think about giving his high-flying up-tempo, people think wide receivers. He did use some a tight end a good amount, so that's not too foreign for him. Um, but yeah, I thought the first game, the offense looked very good, and the scheme was really on point uh, for that matchup. Uh, but otherwise, I think... So I think he's adapted well. The issue is the personnel just isn't there, and as these, defense, as these defenses ramp up, the offensive line is just getting killed. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm more excited to see what's going to happen with the offense. Once he has an offensive line that can even let him try to run half the things he wants to. Uh, yeah. Well, well, that'll be sometime in 2027. So, <laughs> um, and, and you'll be on your third or fourth startup by then. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, I mean, that's basically my take. Um, but I mean, like even, I mean, even in that opener against Hawaii, like that, I mean, Oregon also played Hawaii and that was like one of the primary games that I studied in order to, you know, to, to, to write up my article on Hawaii. And what impressed me about Hawaii was that Hawaii went, you know, Stanford got up ahead, uh, you know, on the scoreboard against Hawaii, but Hawaii didn't really give up. And, um, and, and they kept the score, you know, they kept that game within reach for yeah. very late in that game. And, and the two ways that they did it, you know, in addition to hitting some deep passes, and we'll talk about Stanford's defense here in a sec. Um, but the other way that they did it was that, you know, they were getting penetration into the backfield. You know, they were harrying Ashton Daniels and, you know, three different times Stanford, you know, drove to the red zone or near the red zone um, in, in, and I believe the second half with the opportunity to basically, if they score a touchdown here, the game is over. Um, and all three times um, uh, Hawaii stuffed them. You know, it was like, you know, basically like three straight runs and it was basically three straight stops, um, yes. you know, like nine consecutive Hawaii shutdowns, you know, because Hawaii's defense won. And I was, you know, at the time I was primarily interested in writing about like what a gutty defense, you know, by Hawaii. And now my attention has turned to Stanford and I'm like. Stanford's got some problems here. Hawaii was shutting them down, you know, on those three different opportunities to put the game away. And that was, like I said, the tailoriest offense they were going to get. What do you think about this? What I just said, Jabril, about that game? You know, was that like, am I on to something here about that being a, a, a bad portent? Yeah, I think they've gotten a bit. They they have been somewhat creative in the red zone. That's where you're going to see Bryce Farrell the most. He isn't going to be out there on many. You of mean the like on sweeps and yeah, on jet sweeps. So they've been using him a ton there. Uh, yeah, they don't really run it up the middle that much in the mm -hmm. red zone, given that weakness. 
Uh, so yeah, Taylor knows his personnel and I'm sure was figuring that out during that game. And that's why it happened. Hudson realized during that game, you can't really run it up the middle there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a fair take. The Again, the interior of the offensive line, especially the whole offensive line, but the interior especially is, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, I mean, I, I guess it's not really a surprise because it's been the case since 2018, you know, that it's like, hey, it's Stanford. They've got, you know, Emmett Smith's kid. This is a team that ought to be able to, you know, clear you out of the way and run it up the gut, you know, for five yards a carry every time and just smash you. And like, nope, not, you know, neither of those two things, you know, EJ e- e- Smith's not getting handed the ball uh, that much. And, you know, even though he's averaging like 7.1 yards a carry, they're not handing him the ball that much. Um, and they're definitely not running him up the middle. Like he's getting that because he's like improvising plays. And, uh, you know, I guess this isn't really a surprise to anybody who's been paying attention to Stanford, but like, it's, it, it, it still ain't that Stanford team, you know, yeah. going to be a while. Yeah, probably not. Well, Aaron hate to say it, but the time machine is broken. I mean, this whole thing was running off the power of your cell phone. And obviously when we hit 1894, there's no longer cell service or Wi-Fi connection. So not going to lie. I did not think this through. God almighty, Adam, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, we're in Eugene, Oregon in 1894. We could check out the very first duck game. Maybe it's a good thing. No, it's not good. Look, we've already been here for about five days, and the very first thing I learned living in Eugene, Oregon, is that shows have been banned that are quote-unquote unchaste and demoralizing. And that's kind of the only kind of content we know how to make, dude. We can review every duck season as it happens. Even the children here are freaky. Then post it on the Quack 12 Patreon in the future. I mean, it's just really hard to not spoil, you know, tragic national events. Imagine it, a weekly show dedicated to Oregon football history with two charismatic time-traveling stoner hosts. We live in the most expensive house in Eugene, and it's a fucking shack. And the most beautiful thing about it? We can charge them a measly five bucks in the future and when we get it in the past, we'll be freaking millionaires comparatively. And I'm talking robber baron status, baby. Adam, I make bugs fight in a shoebox just to simulate television. All listeners would have to do is go to patreon.com quack12 and sign up for hundreds of hours of duck entertainment. But the hooch is good. In fact, it's kind of got me wanting to try my my own hand at it. That's right. For a measly $5 a month, that's patreon.com slash quack12. Now let's go watch them lemon yellows give those hay seeds what for. And keep your eye out for Dr. Schroeder's blueberry wine. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. So the defensive structure that we have been seeing has not, or with the exception of certain downs, um, in which they've gone to a three down front, has mostly been the 
the two four defense that they've been effectively running for the last couple of years. It's just that I think they have a couple more or more effective anyway, or more reliable defensive linemen that they've had in the past. Uh, it's sort of, I, I just think that they're, they were in a, my take has been, they were in a bad recruiting spot there for a couple of years, but yeah. they've managed to get out of it. And so now, even though they're in basically the same structure that they were in for the last couple of years, they just have, you know, they're in a little better position defensive line wise so that they're it's not you know like what the heck they've only got like three defensive linemen on scholarship so instead what i am seeing now is tobin phillips number 40 and jackson moy uh number 51 um plus uh uh anthony franklin number uh 94 and uh zach bucky number uh 98 uh rotating through on a pretty consistent basis um and uh you know with such a four-man rotation in a two down front um that that's you know, basically adequate for, you know, what they need to do. And none of those guys really embarrass themselves in any way. You know, I don't, I, you know, or, or is that the 85 bears? No, but like they're, you know, I think they're fine, you know, up the middle. It's certainly not what I've seen sort of at, out of Stanford's defensive lines in the recent past where it's like, oh, you can have whatever you want because these guys are a joke or that they were like a one down front uh, uh, and you could just walk over the them for 10 yards every play you know i think that this defensive line in the structure that they are playing you know has the bodies you know to be you know just fine and 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 that that's my take on 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 the guys you know right in the middle phillips uh uh, uh moy bucky and franklin uh what do you think about that yeah no complaints there i think they've been they've been fine all year nothing spectacular but definitely not the embarrassment it's been the yeah. defensive line is not the embarrassment it's been the last couple of years right so then, you know, what's difficult to square then is that, the, or it's not difficult, but it's just we have a job in front of us to square, is that their their rush efficiency defense or their their defense against efficiency runs is poor. It's on my tally sheet. It's about 32 percent, which is bad. Um, and I mean, it, they just couldn't stop Arizona last week, like really at all. Um, and uh uh, I mean, it was interesting against USC because USC was having a real hard time breaking off chunk runs, which is something that they did very effectively last year. Um, I sort of think there might be something wrong with USC's run game, to be perfectly honest with you. But that's an article that I'm going to write in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, um, uh, but but nonetheless, like I don't think it's because they're just like teams are pushing these guys in the middle out of the way. Um I do sort of think that they've uh, that they're having a problem with sort of the linebacker positions, the outside linebackers and the inside linebackers. Um, They return at outside linebackers, David Bailey, um, uh, number 23, who I like a lot. Um, They also uh, return uh, Lance Kennelly, number 92. Um, who I've been seeing, uh, I've been seeing the guys, the, the, the backups have surprised me a little bit. Um, the guys who, the guy who I've been seeing backing up number 23 is number 11, uh, Tevaro, uh, Tafiti. Um, and the guy who I've been seeing backup number 92 is a uh, number 14, Wilfredo Abar. Yep. Um, and I have not seen Aaron Arbitage or Ernest Cooper, who are older and higher rated than those guys. Is that correct? And more experienced. Cooper's appeared in three games. Arbitage has appeared in one. But yes, those were good guys. I think, especially over Abar, who was sort of came out, but he was committed somewhere else, came mm-hmm. here and 
I think most of us sort of wrote him off as if he didn't play last year, he's probably never yeah. going to I was play. And, that was my attitude, yeah. Yeah, and here he is backing him up. So that's definitely good to see, although, uh, yeah, you would have well, – I was hoping to see more of Ernest Cooper to, or Tafiti at this point. Or not Tafiti, who was the other one? Armitage at this point, yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it's been interesting. I mean, they're I mean they're just straight up less experienced. I mean, going into this year, they combined for one tackle, uh, yeah. those two, Tafiti and Abar. Um, so you know, bit of a surprise. Uh, I think that Kennelly's played fine. The in, Bailey has been, I mean, not fantastic or anything, but I mean, he's played the way I've expected him to play. Uh, the, the Bailey has been interesting. Uh, here's my complete take about Bailey. I'm just going to dump all my cards on the table right now. Number one, I think he's one of the best pass rushers uh, in the Pac-12. I really like his athletic upside. I loved him as a true freshman. You and I were both on him like in spring ball as a true freshman. I was like, this dude's going to play right away, even under David Shaw, like arch conservative. Yeah, and he did. Here's two things that I've noticed about David Bailey. Number one, uh, they're playing him outside the box a lot. Like they're instead of like their sort of their their normal front is like, a you know, two down uh, two OLBs on the line and then two ILBs. But uh, quite frequently, they will play two down one OLB and that'll be Kennelly. And then it'll be the and then, you know, in the box, but off the line will be the two ILBs. And then they'll have Bailey backed up off the line and in coverage. Yep. And he's not good at that like he's not good in coverage and they keep doing it like and they're and on top of that they're sacrificing his ability to set the edge and rush the passer and i'm like this is bad i don't stop doing that stanford number one number two i think he's taking plays off like when i watched him play against usc like and they started to get down but it wasn't garbage time yet like i was seeing loafing uh jabril what do you think about what i've just said yeah, so we were all very surprised in Hawaii, and I was like, wow, he's in coverage making tackles here, David Bailey. That's definitely unexpected. Uh, yeah, so that, of course, sacrifices pass rushing ability. Um, I don't know the full full scheme to that detail, so I can't speak on what the idea is I mean, is the there, weird thing, it's not what Wisconsin certainly. would do. Like, yeah. Because they imported this whole, like, defensive front and staff from Wisconsin, and, like, this is new to me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, on the jogging uh that's my only big ding against the staff so far and that makes me worried a little bit is that against usc first possession uh the defenders were jogging towards the ball yeah. again literally it's zero zero game and everyone's jogging yeah. a bunch of guys it's not just david bailey but a bunch oh, of yeah. guys are jogging yeah man um yeah you're, was, you're right it that is was a bunch of guys just like, like bailey is the one that shocked me you know because no, like anybody yeah. i'm expecting a high motor out of yeah that was incredibly frustrating. Bailey did not play or maybe took a few snaps in the first half of Sacramento State. Uh, the defensive coordinator, Bobby April, was asked about it and said Bailey was banged up. But let's just mm. say a bunch of us have a very strong hunch he got benched for, again, I, it's speculation, but a bunch of us think that that probably was effort related against USC, why he didn't play much against yeah. Sac State. Um, cause yeah, it was, Bailey was the most egregious one on the defense of uh, the guys who were jogging. I, it, it, you know, it, I, that was, that was disappointing. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I am of two hearts on this. Like it sucks to see. It also makes me happy to hear you say that. Cause I thought I was going crazy. Like, no, I, you were. yeah. Okay, good. Um, well, I'm glad I'm not crazy at least. Um, 
and whichever team picks him up in the transfer portal, I'm sure they'll be real glad too. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Stanford, the reverse Hotel California. You you can you can transfer out, but you can't yeah. transfer in. Um, yeah, so that's like man. That's a weird situation to be in. And it's definitely the case that if you want to run against Stanford, the better way to do it is to hit their edges. Cause yeah. like, you know, in a, in a kind of funny reversal, not funny, haha. Uh, like Stanford's much weaker uh, defending the edges against the run. They are up the middle, which like, that wasn't the case even last year. Correct. Okay. Inside linebackers. Um, uh, this, the, the starters that I have seen have been the returner, uh, Tristan Sinclair, the one returner of that group of four dudes that we saw like over and over and over for years. Um, and then the, the, the one exception to the hotel California rule, Gaithan Bernadelle, uh, uh, from FIU number zero. Uh, uh, and then I think I've really only seen one rotational inside linebacker who's number 10, Spencer Jorgensen, which is by the way, Jabril, exactly what you called uh, over the summer. Have I missed anything? Matt Rose, here? Matt Rose has gotten some time oh, little... six tackles. Or, okay. Yeah, or four, five tackles, sorry. How would you evaluate the inside linebacker play, Jabril? Uh, not great. I think we, it's just, it's nice to have some fresh faces, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, we all know like Ricky Miazon, Jacob Megan, Ferrar, that sort of group. Uh, they were sort of there for a long time. And you, you made a great point, I think like two years ago, saying their experience, but like they definitely sort of plateaued on what they were. Mm-hmm. And you were sure enough they were not good at all last year again. Uh, I think the Amazon linebacker play has been overall pretty weak, uh, but we ex- kind of expected that. Losing Levani to Moody definitely hurt um, mm-hmm. to the transfer portal. So it, it's just one of those areas where over time, once they get the guys in, it'll be better. But it's it's... It's not been great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think that I mean, Bernadelle grades out better than Sinclair. Um, uh, Good tackling. That's true. Uh, he he does he doesn't miss tackles. That uh, he grades out well in, in that regard. Uh, it, but like. You know, there's, you know, the thing about playing against, like, for example, USC's, you know, running backs is that, you know, those guys are going to try to, um, the, the, the way that, the way that Lincoln Riley's, uh, you know, power run scheme works is they're, you know, they're going to try to press in one way and then cut against you. And like, you got to scrape real hard and real fast. You got to know exactly where that play is going and you got to, you know, you got to make a beeline for it. And if you hesitate for one second, you know, in diagnosing the play, the dude's going to beat you. And like, yeah, they're just not, you're just not quite there. Like that's not, I mean, they could be the smartest dudes in the world. Like if they're, if they're not elite athletes, like Lincoln Riley's running backs are going to beat you in that scheme. And like, that's what I was seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, um, the, 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 and I, I sort of just think that's where they're at. Like, there's sort of like, there's kind of a, I don't know. I was, I was sort of interested to see how Spencer Lytle, the four star from Wisconsin, you know, that they brought with them mm-hmm. um, was going to do, but uh, like, we haven't seen him. Right. I don't believe. Yeah. So. Uh, we, we actually, we have, he's, he's played in all four games. This is one tackle. Yeah. I think, but I yeah, nothing, nothing flashy camera. from him. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my, that was my one. Like, maybe, maybe Lytle will do something. But then, yeah. Okay, defensive backs. I actually don't. I mean, 
look, man, the defensive backs have gotten lit up in a couple of these games. Like, yeah. I'm like, don't don't mistake what I'm about to say is like, oh, my God, these defensive backs are, are way better because I don't really think that. But I do think that the defensive backs have prevented a lot of explosive plays from that could have been like disaster from being true disasters. And in fact, like the one really bright spot in Stanford's defense is they're really stopping explosive runs They're, uh, in, in fact, they're right now in the Pac-12, the best team at preventing teams from getting 10 plus yards runs is Stanford. Now, part of that is because they played Hawaii that doesn't really run the ball. Um, and part of that is because they played USC, which like I'm kind of working on a theory. Um, uh, but like, um, but actually stopping Arizona from putting together explosive runs is kind of impressive. Um, uh, given that they, they, they kind of live on that. Um, it's sort of why that game was close. Uh, and um and so like uh number 21 uh, i'm sorry i'm blanking on his name right now uh um scotty uh, edwards. edwards yeah scotty edwards is, is actually like dude hustles to the ball takes a good angle and makes a tackle like you yeah. can beat him in coverage you know let's face it you can but like dude dude, dude makes a tackle like they're, they're 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 doing their their safeties are playing okay um, in, in, in explosive play, you know, prevention. Um, I, I also, um, uh, and, uh, 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 I will also say the same thing about number 20 and number 18, Slocum and Wyrick. Um, Wyrick is hurt right now. We believe he is and is questionable. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, uh, I also think that, uh, Gilman, I have another like, you know, split tally sheet. He gets burned like to to a crisp in coverage but like great tackler um yes he is what he is yeah point. um you were correct uh in your predictions about the cornerbacks it's been uh uh colin wright number six and uh zaron manley the uh the once in future uh cornerback um uh, colin wright's been interesting because he you know he's a true sophomore uh, who only played like a couple of snaps last year, but won the starting spot. Um, although I don't really know that they had any better options. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, USC's receivers kind of, you know, teed off on him, but they're uh-huh. going to do that to a lot of folks. Um, and, and actually they, they didn't do, I mean, the USC game was really interesting to watch. I know if anybody's looking at the box score, they might think that like, you know, USC just absolutely crushed them. And yes, on the scoreboard they did. But if you actually watched that game, it was fascinating because the, the USC was really only running two plays the entire game. It was this power RPO read and they were not really able to hit or maybe they just weren't interested in hitting. I can't quite tell yet. I want to watch more USC film. But like they weren't standing in the it was not Caleb Williams standing in the pocket and hitting deep ball after deep ball against, you know, Wright and Manley as lousy cornerbacks. Like that was not the case at all. In fact, that was last year. <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, yeah, it was last year, but it wasn't this year. <laughs> this year, I mean, I know what the scoreboard says, and I know what people, you know, might think just looking at that scoreboard. But it was it was a bunch of RPOs, um, and it was you know relatively short stuff. Now, Stanford's defensive sh- staff ought to be ashamed of themselves because they never figured out how to defend the RPO, and like they like like 
I mean, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley correctly never stopped calling those two RPOs because Stanford never figured out how to defend it. And and like, I mean, it was embarrassing by like the fourth time they ran it. I was screaming at my computer on the airplane like you, you morons like this is supposed to be a smart person school. Um, but like it was not. Caleb Williams standing in the pocket, lighting up the secondary. In fact, they were just basically playing basic man defense on all of their downfield, you know, passing plays and running easily, easily with USC's wide receivers and just locking them all down. Um, and, and like, yeah, man, right. Manly we're, we're holding up with uh, USC's wide receivers. I, I kind of don't think that USC has a lot of great wide receivers this year, to be perfectly honest. Like, you know, other than Zach Ryder branch, he's like phenom waiting to happen. Like, like Brandon Rice, Mario Williams, eh, like right. Manly didn't have a real hard time with those guys. Um, I, you know, I, I think they're you know probably going to play some better wide receivers coming up. And I mean, Hawaii, you know, torched them way better than USC did. Like, but Hawaii torches a lot of teams like you know ashlock for example oh my god dude like they had a real hard time with ashlock all right i've been talking for yeah. a long time what do you think about stanford's uh, secondary and coverage jabril well it's the weak spot of the defense along with the inside linebackers um it's not been as much as a dumpster fire as we thought we all would i, I think yes. a lot of stanford fans are quite high on colin Wright for the future and think he's done a lot of good things this year uh manley's come in and been about what we expected and done fine all right yeah i think just Everyone knew the USC game was going to be a disaster mm-hmm. and not seeing deep ball after deep ball like last year was kind of nice, I guess, now that you bring it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not been great, but no one really expected anything out of this unit. They lost, uh, they lost, like, they lost Patrick Fields. Kevin they lost Williams, everybody. And, oh, yeah. yeah. They lost everything. So like, uh, it, it is what it is. And Colin Wright is a nice bright spot for the future, people think. So uh, it's, it, it. it it's it's kind of whatever at this point on the defense, but yeah, it, it's it's not been as bad as we thought. What did you? I I have not. Uh, I, I am embarrassed to admit this. I have uh, the 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 film that I have not yet watched because we're recording this on Tuesday morning, and I I was uh, out of town this weekend. Uh, I watched the uh, Stanford offense versus Arizona defense film, but I have not yet watched the Stanford defense versus Arizona offense film. Um, it looks like, but I have run it through the statistical regression engine. It looks like Stanford did a pretty decent job of not just stopping Arizona's explosive rushing game, but also it looks like they did a fairly decent job of shutting down, um, cowing and McMillan on those, uh, intermediate throws over the middle. Um, is that a correct interpretation? What did you think about their coverage against Arizona? They had a fantastic, it was a a very good defensive first half against Arizona. Um, I think a lot of Stanford fans walked away with that as that was a very much a moral victory on Saturday and they should have won that game. I think someone posted that it was the first time they outscored, they they outgained on yards per play and power five opponent since like 2021. So they haven't done that in a long time. Um, So I think a lot, though, was Arizona having a really bad game. I thought Jane mm-hmm. Delora was really, really poor, especially in that first half. When the backup quarterback came in, they drove down the field and won the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think over the middle, Arizona wasn't really to get anything going. As you said, some of those outside rushes worked decently well. And eventually, like, they just, the defensive line for the second straight week wore out, is what happened. 
in my opinion. So hmm. I don't think it was on the secondary. But yeah, Sac State and Arizona felt very similar where the defensive line did nothing in the fourth quarter and that ended the game. So yeah, hmm. I think they did a great uh, we like they did a very good job, especially on McMillan limiting his touches. Was was Arizona when I was watching Arizona last year, they're like bread and butter. And when I say bread and butter, I mean like 80% of their passing yards was on those like intermediate, like 15 to 20 yard, like in breaking routes over the middle. Um, and like the way you got to stop them is drop your linebackers or like play like a three cornerback system and just like camp out in the middle of the field and keep them from doing that. And then like, and then I'm imagining, like Sinclair trying to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, uh Oh, um, but then it sort of looks like Stanford, you know, did maybe an okay job at that. Like how did that passing game go in your opinion? So there was one drive. I think you might've seen this. It was the first half where it was three plays in Arizona, just three chunk plays and intermediate routes down. The last one was like a tight end up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one they looked embarrassing on, but aside from a couple bad drives that were really quick, um, they, for the vast majority of the game, they were having their way with Arizona's offense and they weren't able to get much going at all. Do you think that this might be the type of team that like maybe sneakily has like better cornerbacks than, than people think, but it kind of doesn't matter because like the, the, the coverage of the middle of the field between the ILBs and the safeties, you know, just means that teams are going to attack them up the middle and and no one's going to know that the cornerbacks were doing a good job? Uh, might be true. I also think that they, the cornerbacks leave a lot to be desired. But, uh, well. um, yeah, it's I think it's a mix of everything. But I have definitely been we've all the secondary has been better than a lot of us thought coming into this. Season. Yeah. No, I remember when we were talking over the summer, we we're just like, oh, it doesn't matter if the defensive front gets better because the, you know, everybody's just going to torch the secondary because I mean, like we're, you know, you weren't kidding, you know, when lost everybody. I mean, it was Kaibu Kelly, it was Ethan Bonner, yeah. it was Turner Muhammad, it was, you know, Jonathan Gill, Kendall Williamson, Patrick Fields. I mean, it was like, it all was all, it was all the starters and a couple of key backups, like and a couple of guys that they were counting on to step in and be starters, you know, transferred out, you know, like Nicholas Toomer. Um, yeah. you know, it was like, it, you know, it was like, you know, other than Alakai Gilman, like it was a complete reset, you know, of this room in which, in and dudes who'd like essentially never played, um, uh, or guys like Zarn Manley who had played and then left the team, you know, and came back. And so like, yeah, to the extent that these guys have done, you know, even like above terrible <laughs> is is a pleasant surprise <laughs> you know it's all gravy <laughs> you know from yeah. here um but like above terrible is how i would have characterized the defensive film that i watched them play you know like look man they've lost some games like that's you know i'm not trying to sugarcoat this or anything but like i don't think that they really got humiliated and i was actually genuinely impressed with how easily they were running with usc's wide receivers like they like i said they got torched on rpo plays and like hang your head in shame uh uh you know bobby april or april how am i supposed to pronounce his last name april April, like, like the month. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, 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 but like it, 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 it wouldn't because, you know, Wright and Manly were like, you know, tripping all over themselves. Although what there was actually one play in which he literally tripped. Um, uh, uh, the, you know, like, uh, you know, that, that, that prediction over the off season of like, oh my God, you know, I don't really think that's true. I, I think you're right about that. Um, I mean, there are a few plays away from being three and one. 
Yeah. It, it's it's been tight. Like the Sac yeah. State loss was the one that was that was that was a tough one. But against I mean, Arizona here, it was they 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 were close. Yeah. On the other hand, they're they're close against teams like Hawaii, Sac State, and Arizona yeah. that like this is Stanford, man. Like those games shouldn't yeah. be close, much less losses. So uh all right. Uh well that's about all the questions that I have. Do, do you have any uh uh you know observations about this game going into it? Um I hope we do better than Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, well don't, don't, I don't know. It's not gonna be played Knotson Stadium, so you have no O to stomp on. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's gonna be it, it should be a rough one, but yeah, it's the last one of these, so hopefully Stanford mm-hmm. can until they meet in the playoffs. The yeah, of course. Once Stanford dominates the <laughs> ACC and grabs that auto bid, right? I don't know. I've been watching Clemson play. Don't, don't, <laughs> never say never, man. <laughs> I know. Well, Stanford is near the. They're recruiting really well, so I guess the key right now is hold on to that recruiting class, get your guys in, hope the wait for the COVID extra years to fizzle out, so Stanford kids don't transfer out as much. Um, and hope that once the program becomes more respectable, you get higher quality power five guys transferring in instead of just guys from Ivy's who are marginal players on the power five level. That's true. You recruit the East coast. Now this is a brilliant recruiting yeah. move. Yeah. I've heard from some of the people who work for the team that I think it's going to help recruiting, especially men's basketball. They think that's going to be a big boost. Nice. Well, Jabril Taha, senior staff writer of Stanford daily, Thanks so much for talking to us. I mean, I, like Hith said, I, I hope we have a good excuse to talk to you in the future because you've been so helpful for us dissecting this Stanford team. And, uh, you know, I wish we could have talked to you really when Stanford was at the height of uh, their football prowess, too, just to give you a little real bit of was a in curveball. short pants at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Well, Jabril, uh, thanks so much for hopping on the show. And, and regardless, I hope you have a good time this Saturday. Thank you. Thank you, you guys, too. All right. We'll catch y'all next week, listeners. And uh, Hithleday, thanks for hopping on the show as well. Uh, My pleasure. This without you. Of course. Jabril, it's, it's been great talking to you over the years, and I, I really do hope we get to do it again sometime soon. Same here. Appreciate you guys. All right. See you next week, everybody. Quack, quack.